put your thumb through. Um, so I was thinking about this. Um, the title of tonight's sermon is called Untapped Power. And I was thinking about a lot of different inventions that have changed the way that our world works. One invention that really has changed everything is air conditioning. Dennis is funny because you and I were just talking about Dennis was freezing earlier. And so he's like trying to figure out how to turn the AC down and it worked. So if it gets a little warmer in here, just talk to Dennis. Um, but it's, it's amazing that air conditioning's changed everything, okay? Like people, cities, like became big deals when you could put air conditioning in because then people could work inside buildings in hot conditions. I remember, I'm not that old, but I'm old enough to remember like my elementary school that I went to back in Maryland, number one, it looked like a prison. Like it just did, it, it was ugly. It was an old brick building with minimal windows. That meant minimal natural light coming into the poor children who were inside the building. That meant we were all like pale and frail and uh, sad because we were in school all the time. But I remember one of the biggest things that my school did is they raised money uh, through like the parent teacher organization to finally install window AC units in the building. Like every classroom got a big old honkin' box that hung out the window and blew cold air into the room. And that was a big deal. Now, as a kid, I didn't like that as much because in kindergarten, first and second grade, we used to get the days off at the beginning of the school year and the end of the school year when it was one of those code red days. You know what I'm talking about? Like those really hot days where they tell you don't go outside, don't breathe the air because it's really bad. They would cancel school at our school because it was unsafe to put little children into the prison without air conditioning. And so I was kind of sad when we got the AC units in there. But I was thinking about it. When, that, when you got that, it changed the game because somebody could walk up and they could touch the thermostat and that little button changed everything in the room. Like it, it changed the climate in the room that you were in. And as we get to the end of this letter, we've been talking about the last two weeks, and this is kind of going to wrap up this discussion on prayer. We've been talking about prayer in so many different ways. And I thought about it this way, is that for a lot of us, we are living our lives as just thermometers instead of thermostats. Like a thermometer just gets affected by the temperature of the room, and it changes based on how hot or cold the room is. Whereas a thermostat accesses something and tells something else to change the temperature of the room. There's a degree of power that the thermostat dials into. Like the thermostat itself doesn't have any power other than to send a signal to the machinery to change the temperature in the room. In a lot of ways, like you guys, we live our lives like thermometers where we just let everything around us affect us and that changes our mood. So when things are going really well, like we read really well on the thermometer in terms of our spiritual life. Like things are good, we're good. Then things start to bottom out and we start to bottom out. Or we have drama or we have difficulty in our life and then all of a sudden our spiritual life tanks because that is not going well. But then things go well again and then we bounce back up. And instead of being a thermostat where we could change the climate around us by tapping into something that's more powerful than us. Think about it that way. You, you guys, we are like the thermostat on the wall and then your prayer is the signal to God to act and to change things around you. And I, I just think that sometimes we miss that. And that's the idea tonight is that prayer is this untapped power. I just want to read you a couple quotes that I found really encouraging, um, all from uh, my, my BFF, Charles Spurgeon. Um, here's what he says, a couple of different ones. I'm going to go through these like a uh, machine gun. He says, uh, number one, the act of prayer is a blessing. To pray is to enter the treasure house of God and to gather riches out of an inexhaustible storehouse. 
as well as you could expect a plant to grow without air and water, expect your heart to grow without prayer and faith. Ooh, that's a good one. Prayer is the best response to hatred. That's another good one. No man can progress in grace if he forsakes prayer. He who knows how to overcome with God in prayer has heaven and earth at his disposal. Here's another one. True prayer is the trading of the heart with God. We know not what prayer cannot do. All good is born in prayer and all good springs from it. And I'll make one. I'll, I'll, there's a ton of these, but I'll just read one more. Prayer can never be in excess. You can never pray too much. There's an untapped power that we don't dial into often enough, and I think often it's because we just neglect that power of prayer, or we don't believe that it is powerful enough, and so tonight, it's going to be really simple, um, we're going to talk about that untapped power of prayer. If you look at James 5, 16 through 18 with me, you'll see what James has to say. He concludes kind of this discussion by saying something really interesting. He says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain in the earth. The earth, excuse me, bore its fruit. So here's something that I always am passionate about doing. Anytime we, we study God's word together, I, I always hear from so many people, and I want to try and help as much as this problem occurs, is that so many people think, I can't read the Bible on my own because I don't know how to handle it. And I'm just going to give you a couple more tips. I like to give you practical tips. Number one is that anytime you see a therefore, you always have to think, what? What is the therefore yeah, exactly. So therefore, what is it? Therefore, well, it means that everything that was just said in light of all that, he's going to talk about this. So that's number one. That's one clue. Number two, anytime you see in like the New Testament, especially where they'd mention somebody who's in the Old Testament, which in this case is Elijah, try and figure out where that story is. Because nine times out of ten, they're using that story as an example to prove a point. So, really easy. James talks about Elijah. We're going to look at some of the things out of that story of Elijah when he prayed and it did not rain for three years. It's a hint. We should probably look at that. The other two things that are, are going to be basics, and I want, to, I want to, I got to go through the basics with you, and that's how we're going to structure everything we talk about in the time we have together tonight. So I said, just don't miss the basics. Number one is there are two commands for us right away in this passage. Don't miss them right off the bat. And a lot of times we, we skim over commands in the Bible because we don't like to be told what to do. But they are there. You can't neglect them. You can't skip over them. You can't ignore them. God has commanded us to do things. You can't just say, eh, I don't like commands, and then forget what he has said. He's commanding something. First thing he commands, number one, confess your sins to one another. Now, that one sounds really tricky. And that one can be done really incorrectly. You can have somebody who confesses their sin to somebody else here in this room or somebody else, and that person can totally turn their back on them and hurt them. So that's not, there is a wrong way to do this. There's also a wrong way where somebody can confess, confess their sins to you, and you can just straight up judge them to their face. Wrong way to do it. Okay, so there are wrong ways to do this, but essentially what he's trying to get at is you should confess your sins. If there's something in your life that you are doing that is outside of God's will, you should bring it into the light. 
You should share it with somebody else so that they can either A, help you, or B, they can pray for you. We're going to get to that in a second. But there is an opportunity for you to experience the grace of God. It is not an opportunity for somebody else to bash you over the head with a stick and tell you how awful you are. Rather, instead, when you confess your sin to one another, it's an opportunity for you, the person who is hearing this, to remember for yourself, number one, the grace that Jesus shows and that Jesus died for that very sin. And number two, you have the opportunity to remind the person who has sinned about that same grace. You need to remember and remind each other that Jesus died for that sin. That if they are in Christ, they no longer have to carry the guilt and the shame of that sin anymore. And so you have the opportunity, if somebody confesses sin to you, to show grace and humility and say, listen, I know I'm not perfect. I'm not saying what you're doing is good. We need to stop that. We need to get that out of your life. But man, praise God that, it, that Christ already paid for that sin. Like You and I do not have to figure out how to make up for that because Jesus already paid for it. I mean, it's an opportunity to experience grace together as a community. Like I said, this is something that we can, we can get wrong, and I think we have gotten it wrong a lot of times as people because people confess something and they open up their hearts to us, and then we treat them wrongly, and then ends up that they say, I can't trust those people, or they're judgy. You know, this is an opportunity, though, to show grace, and that's what he wants us to do. The command is to confess your sin to one another. I'm not saying you just go around and telling everybody, by the way, that you have this sin in your life. Okay, this is not your opportunity to make yourself a martyr and be like, oh, I got this sin, and you guys can show me grace, you show me grace. That's celebrating it. We don't want to celebrate it. But, but you find those who are close to you, who you can trust, who are believers, and you say, hey, I've got this going on in my life. I really need some help. And this is happening. Especially if your sin has been against somebody else and they didn't know it. It's a great opportunity to experience that grace. Here's the second command, he says. So he says, number one, confess your sins to one another. Then he says, and pray for one another. So pray for one another. This is something that, that so often is, is the answer to so many issues between people. And in prayer for one another, that sometimes is done together, like sitting across a table from each other, or that could be praying for that other person when they're not around you. I was talking to somebody recently who was struggling with some stuff, and, and I said, you know, have you actually prayed for that, act, that other person recently? And they're like, no, not at all. I said, okay, but, but do you realize that that person, if you are praying for them to see something more clearly, and if you're a believer and they're a believer... The Holy Spirit who's speaking to you about your life is also talking to them about their life. The same voice of God is active in their life if they're a believer that's active in your life. Now, if it's an unbeliever, follow David. Look what David, just read the Psalms. David prays for others who are not in Christ all the time. He actually prays often. I was just reading this the other day. He prays that their stuff would come to fail because he doesn't want to see their sin succeed. And that actually sounds like David is saying, oh, I want them to be crushed and all those other things. Yeah, David's praying for, like, you know, wartime enemies. But in a way, you know, you could pray for other people who are not living for Christ. You could pray for their plans to fail so that they could end up walking closer to the Lord or not fall deeper into sin. That's actually a good thing to pray for somebody. Pray that their plans to sin would not succeed. Pray for one another. 
The other thing that I think is so important about this is we talked about this a couple months ago, but back in James chapter 3, he spends a whole chapter talking about how do you tame the tongue? Like, how do you get your speech, which a lot of times hurts other people and hurts badly because we say things out of turn. How do you tame the tongue? He even says in chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, he says, no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. We bless the Lord with it. And then we curse people who are made in the likeness of God with it. How do we get this thing under control? Here's the answer. Pray for one another. You want to you fix how you talk to those people who are really difficult? Who are bullying you? Who are mean? You want to fix how you, know, you talk to other people when you speak out of turn or do something that's, that's immature or incorrect? Here's the way to do it. Pray for them. Talk to God first before you talk to them. Man, that, that would change a lot of the ways that we interact with one another if we would just pray for one another. So there are the two commands right off the bat that, that James gives us. Confess your sins to one another, pray for one another. So anytime you're studying the Bible, look for commands because that's telling you how to live. And it's not optional, by the way. When God tells you to do something, you should do it. It's not like, oh, when you feel like it. I think a lot of times we do that. God commands, we do it. Okay, so two commands. Here's also something else to look for when you study the Bible. Look for truths or promises. And there are two truths that you can pull out of this passage that are basic. The first one, prayer has great power. He says in verse 16, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And then he looks to Elijah. And he says, Elijah was a man that, that was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Now, here's something that is really interesting. So he, sa- he, makes a, he makes a point that prayer has great power. Prayer changes things. It has the ability to be the thermostat on the wall that changes the atmosphere, changes the things in the, the place that it's attached to. And he says, look at Elijah as the example. Now, one of the things that we need to understand is there are some things that He's trying to make clear that Elijah is like us in some ways, but there's also things that Elijah is different, okay? Elijah was very different from us in some ways. God specifically called him to be a prophet during the Old Testament time. None of you guys are called to be a prophet as he was called to be a prophet. Um, God did some really miraculous things through his very hands. Um, None of us are going to be doing those types of miracles. So Elijah's Acts were outside of what we do. But, but James's focus is not on what Elijah does he, with his hands and the miracles that God did through him. Instead, he focuses on Elijah's action of prayer, which is something that we share in common with Elijah. Elijah is just like us in that God chose us as his adopted children and works his power through us. Elijah was a chosen child of God. You, if you are in Christ, are a chosen child of God, and God uses his power in you to do things for his kingdom. So you have that in common with Elijah. Here's the other thing that you have in common with Elijah. It says he was a man with a nature like ours. That means he was sinful. That means he didn't always get it right. Elijah blew it. Elijah was not perfect. His prayers were not perfect, and he was just as in need of God's grace as you and I are. So so there are a lot of things that we have in common with Elijah. And James's point is, don't ever think that you, as a sinful person, cannot access God the same way that other people through the Bible have accessed God. 
God may not do the miraculous things through your hands, like stopping the rain in North Carolina for three years. He may not do that through you, but you know what he can do? He can still listen to you, and his power can still work in you in your life right now. Because you are just like Elijah in that you are just a man created or woman created in the image of God. There is no difference. Don't think that you don't have the same level of access to God that he did. Here's the other thing you have to understand, that Elijah's prayers were very God-centered. Like I said, good Bible study tip. If he mentions Elijah, we should probably look at what Elijah did. What prompted Elijah's prayer? If you go back, I did the work for you, but 1 Kings 18 is where this story is found. You can go there, but I just pulled out the main point of the story for you. 1 Kings 18 and verse 21. Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? Either the Lord is God, and you follow him, but if Baal is is God, then follow him. And the people did not answer him with a word. Here's here's what the situation is in 1 Kings. The people of Israel, God's chosen people, have started to worship other gods, and they're mixing that with the God of the Bible, the one true God. And Elijah is fed up with it. And he is saying, listen, you got to tear down all that stuff, all that stuff that you're chasing after that is not the, the one true God. you got to stop mixing this. you got to stop chasing after Baal. So it's not you can have one and then a little bit of the other. It's either A or B. You either are going to say the Lord is God and he is the one true God. And if that is true, then nothing else exists in that realm. He is the only one true God that you follow. Or it's Baal. It's not both. It's not an and or. Okay, it's not a little bit of one here, one here. No, it's you pick which one you're going to follow. And it's interesting, right? He lays that down and the people did not answer him with a word. They didn't know what they were going to do. So, so Elijah faces a people that are totally like thermometers. They just go with whatever feels right. However, the world around them impresses them lifts their spirits, raises their spiritual temperature, and when it doesn't work out, it falls. Because they didn't have an answer. They're just little thermometers that don't have actual power. They're just getting influenced by everything around them. Elijah is just like James in that he desires that people won't be double-minded. If you look back at James chapter 1, James says this, a double-minded man is like this. He asks he doesn't ask in faith with, with doubting because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Elijah is praying that the people would not be unstable, that they would choose God. And so his prayer to bring this drought of rain for three years is based off of God, get their attention. Let's get their attention. And it's a God-centered prayer that's saying, I want people to come back to you. And God answers it. And he provides the drought for three years. Elijah's prayers were more than just a gesture. And I think this one hits me hard, is because I think we often, um, prayer just becomes that routine thing, you know, mealtimes, bedtime, morning time. You know, it's just a gesture. Oh, I got to kind of acknowledge God's presence in my life today. So I'll throw up a prayer. Hey, God, I've, I've even, there was a time um, 
there was a time when I was in college and other stuff too, and I was younger, a lot of people thought it was hip and cool. They would just throw up, yo, Jesus, it's me here. Hey, Jesus, your friend. And yeah, like I understand it's supposed to be a conversation between you and God, and he is a friend of sinners, but it just became so irreverent that it just became a gesture. What's up? It wasn't this humility of approaching God, Lord, I need you, Heavenly Father, Jesus, help me. It was just a gesture. It was just a flighty little thought. Elijah fervently prayed, it says here. He asked God, he, he begged God to do something to shake these people out of this spiritual laziness that they were in. And Elijah's prayers, because of his fervence, because of what he did by tapping into God's power and, and praying for God's will to be done, changed weather patterns for years. Like, you think about this, like literally wind probably changed directions. The atmosphere around that country changed for three years. Like, do we believe that our prayers can get that same level of action or, or can do something and tap into God's power at some level? Or do we just act like we got to do it so that we can check the box and say, hey, God, I prayed, so now I think you'll act. But we really don't believe that we will get what we're asking for or that God will move. And Tim Keller says it this way. He says, how foolish are we to not pray far more than we do and for more than we do? He says it really easy. We don't pray to God enough, and we don't ask him for enough. We're not bold in those prayers. It's an acknowledgement. Hey, God, if you do this today, help me with this test. I don't know. Maybe if, you, if you're interested. It's just, that's just a gesture. Elijah was fervent. He, he, you, could, you can imagine he'd be on his knees begging God to move and do something. There's a difference in that. There's a difference in a prayer that is so much more heartfelt. Another good quote, I don't have it on the screen, but this one has always stuck with me. John Piper said this, is that one of the best uses of uh, social media, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, all that stuff, will be that on the last day, none of us will have an excuse for the lack of prayer in our lives. Basically what he's saying is social media is going to expose how much free time we had to pray to God, and that's why it's, it's beneficial. He's kind of being sarcastic, if you didn't catch that. But I just think it just goes to show that our prayers sometimes become just gestures rather than action that really believes God is going to move. All right, here's the second, the second truth, the last one. Back to the basics. So we got two commands. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Second, two truths. Prayer has great power, and prayer only works for a righteous person. Back to the text. I'm going to read it really quickly. It says in verse 16, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So there is a type of prayer where you must be a righteous person. Now, if you know your Bible, or if you don't, I'm going to give you a crash course in this, but here's a really quick summary of what the Bible says about righteous people. There are none. Look in the Psalms. Who is righteous? The Lord looks upon the earth from the heavens, and he looks for somebody who's righteous, and he says, is there one? No, there is not one. Paul picks that back up in Romans. There is none righteous. None of us. We have all gone our own way. We, like sheep, have gone astray. So there's a problem here because in the Bible, if you're thinking about this, prayer only works for a righteous person. If you are not in Christ, your prayer doesn't work. 
Simple as that. Like, you can talk to God all day long, but if you're not in Christ, why would you expect that your prayer has any type of power to do any working? Because if you're not his son, what obligation, or his daughter, what obligation does God have to answer your prayers? He has none. He doesn't need to. So, so here's something really important. Prayer only works for a righteous person. That is really bad news for somebody if you're not in Christ. Because then you can hear people all the time bending the knee and praying. It's not going anywhere. It's bouncing off the ceiling tiles above them. But here's the key. If you are in Christ, this is really good news. Because God sees you as righteous. So, so if you have a relationship with Jesus, if you've confessed your sin and you have placed your faith in Christ, God sees you as righteous, so therefore your prayer can work as a righteous person now because you are in Christ. This is good news. Let me take you to Romans 8, 5, 18, and 19. I'm, again, crash course, because if you didn't know all this stuff, this is, this is the heart and soul of what we would call the gospel, okay? Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. So here's what he's saying, okay? So Adam and Eve in the garden make the one trespass, but that sin filters down to all of us. Therefore, we all have a sin nature. Just as that one act led to condemnation for all men, there is one act of righteousness that leads to justification and life for all of us. Meaning, Adam sinned, we all are now fallen. Jesus dies on the cross, act of righteousness, offers you his righteousness and justification. One act makes you righteous. Not your actions, Jesus's. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. There's the proof. In Christ, you are seen as righteous. But, but I, I haven't had a good day with God. Um, I, didn't, I didn't really have a quiet time actually haven't had one of those in a while. Uh, I get a little nervous because you're talking to me about my spiritual life right now. Uh, I haven't prayed uh, this week. Okay, that's a lie. I, I thanked him for my Chick-fil-A the other day because I felt like that's holy chicken and I kind of should do that because that's kind of like the thing, you know, Christian chicken, you got to pray for that. Um, but yeah, it's been rough, Pastor Kyle. It's been real rough. Are you in Christ? Because if you're in Christ, then you're made righteous. Despite whatever issues you've had going on, are, are you in Christ? If the answer to that is yes, that my, my faith is placed in Christ, I, 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 I ask God to forgive me for my sin, and, and I, I trust that Jesus' death alone forgives me my sin. If that is true of your life, then right here, this text says, by Jesus' obedience, you are being made, or you are made righteous in the sight of God. 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous, he's righteous, for the unrighteous, that's you and me. That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Jesus, righteous. His righteous act, death on the cross, his perfect life, his death, burial, and resurrection, now is credited to you over here. You are unrighteous. But in Christ, you are now seen as righteous. And so now, the prayer of a righteous person works. In Christ, you are that person. There's another one, Romans 4, 5. This is literally the verse that saved my life and to put me, to place my faith in Jesus. 
when I read this, this verse. To the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Here it is. Here's the key to it all. It's not the one who works hardest. It's not the one who prays the best pretty prayers. It's not the one who has the coolest Bible stories. Or it's not even the person who has the Instagram stories that are the prettiest little Bible characters and the coolest little Bible journaling pens and all those pretty little things that people do on Instagram. It's not even the coolest stuff that you do. It's not even the ministries that you blow up one day. It's not even the amount of times you've been to church. It's not any of that. What it has to do with not your work, but the work that Jesus did and the work that he did is the one that justifies you. I believe in that, and therefore, my trust that Jesus did everything that I couldn't do, and Jesus alone saves, my trust in that is counted as righteousness. That's the gospel. That, that's it. Like, that, that's, that's the good news, is that you weren't good enough to save yourself. He was good enough to save you and everyone else. And so trusting in that I am now counted as righteous. Therefore, my prayer has great power as it is working because I am seen as a righteous person in the sight of God. Don't miss the basics, guys. Try to make this super simple for you and make it really easy because it can get confused. But don't miss this, that you and I need prayer. It has great power and it's working. But the only way that it will work for us is if we are in Christ. If our prayer is without him, it is lacking in power. It is null and void. It does not have the ability. Now, I'm going to just I'm gonna just run with a really quick rabbit trail. And I wish I had more time to go down this because I, I guarantee somebody in this room is thinking this. But they're going, okay, hold on. Pastor Kyle, I just heard what you just said. So you say that if I am not in Christ, my prayer does not reach the ear of God. So I'm going to logically follow this for a second. If I'm not a Christian right now and people say I need to pray to receive Jesus, how does that work? Anybody thinking that? Raise your hand if you were. No? Some were. Okay. I thought Jake might be the one. I knew, I knew it was out here somewhere. Here's the thing. It's not that your prayer does not reach the, the ear of God. And it's not your prayer that saves you. God in his power sees your trust in him and reaches down and pulls you out of the pit. So, so does God hear your cries for help? Yes. Does he act and see when somebody turns to him? Yes, because in Romans 10, it says that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So there is a prayer that comes from the lips of somebody who is unrighteous that God hears and he reaches down into that pit and he lifts you from the pit. He lifts you out of death and brings you into life, even if you are unrighteous at that moment because you're without Christ. Your prayer doesn't save you. Your prayer acknowledges that's your humility. But what happened to get you there is that God was working on your heart, getting you ready to that moment of salvation where you cry out and say, I need him. And that's when he reaches in and he makes you righteous. So if that helps, there's so much more. That was like my quick 45-second answer to that question, but I knew somebody out there was thinking it. There was at least two, maybe more, if you weren't bold enough to say that. But here you go. I'm just going to take you back to the basics, and we're done. Two commands. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Two truths. Prayer has great power, and prayer only works for a righteous person. And listen, if you're in Christ, you, right now, where you sit, no matter what has happened today or this past week or this past month, 
if you are in Christ, you sit in this room right now in God's sight as a righteous person because of God's favor and his grace upon your life through the life of Jesus. If you are sitting here and you're not sure if you're a righteous person, talk to us. Talk to one of the leaders. Talk to me. Talk to your mom and dad if they're believers in Christ. Talk to somebody if you were wondering, am I a righteous person? Am I, am I somebody who is actually seen as righteous by God? Let's pray. Lord, it is, it is such good news and hope that we have that you, you hear our cries for help. Lord, you are near to your children. We can run to you when we need you, no matter when or where we are, no matter what has transpired up to this point. And the reality of the prayer that we pray to you, having great power, being able to make great changes, is quite honestly stunning and is sometimes so hard for us to believe. I know it is for me, Lord, and I, I just confess to you that there are times I don't really truly believe that I am worthy of your time and attention. God, help me to know that there is great power in coming to you and humbly asking you to work. And God, I pray that you would work mightily in the lives of your people that we would trust and believe that the things that we can tap into in prayer is an untapped power that we don't even understand how limitless it is. So God, help us to be people of prayer, to not neglect it, for it to grow our faith, for it to build us up, for it to draw us closer to you, for it to exchange our hearts for yours. May it have great power as we go forward from here. And I do pray these very things in your son's holy name.